Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is a cross-partisan nonprofit building movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Olivia, and I'm back on the podcast after two months on leave at the School for Ethics and Global Leadership. This week, Inika Kotistani, Juliana Davis, Rhea Mehta, Sarah Cho, and I converse with Elizabeth Adams, Legislative Director for City Council District 33 in Brooklyn, New York. We had a wide-ranging, fascinating conversation about what led her into government service from her early career addressing health disparities through teaching and the nonprofit sector, what city council actually does, and how it allocates the city's $93 billion budget, larger than the budget of any state save California, how to address hyper-local issues at a city scale, and what gets in the way of more women being in city council. Only 12 of 51 members are female and much more. Thank you for joining us. Hi, my name is Inika Kodestane, and I'm a sophomore from New Jersey. Um, I'm especially interested in journalism, um, and especially now how it plays into presidential elections. Um, I'm Juliana Davis. I'm a high school senior from Manhattan, New York, and I'm really interested and kind of nervous to talk about um, the implications that COVID-19 has on the primary season, not just in New York State, because ours is coming up soon, but um, nationally. I am Olivia Becker. I am a junior from New York City, um, and I currently or did attend school at the School for Ethics and Global Leadership in D.C., but am now home learning there online. And I'm super interested, yeah, in the implications of this current um, pandemic on elections, but also on what you're currently seeing in the role of federalism and the exchanges we've seen in the past week between the city and the state. Hi, my name is Ria Mehta. I'm a senior in New Jersey, and um, I'm particularly interested in civic engagement and bipartisanship and how the uh, Faces of the political parties and their stances have kind of evolved as a result of coronavirus. Hi, my name is Sarah Cho and I'm from New York City as well. I'm a senior and I'm very interested on topics of immigration. Currently, I'm actually conducting a research project through NextGen about immigration and sort of how the COVID-19 pandemic is playing out um, and affecting our current immigration system. So hi everyone, my name is Elizabeth. So I grew up here in New York City. Um, I grew up in Manhattan and I went to high school in the Bronx. I went to high school of American studies. After college, I actually got kind of frustrated with the political system and with politics and really kind of disparaged by what I was seeing and as severe as amount of inequity and inequality in our, our country and our political system. So actually, I, I got really involved in uh, teaching and direct service, and I started doing a lot of uh, volunteering in health clinics. And that was then that led me to volunteer and and then go on to work for a long time at Planned Parenthood. And really, that was for for me how I was showing up for my community, how I was fighting for things that uh, I had been directly impacted by. Um, you know, I was a Planned Parenthood patient, still am, and were there for me always. They were there for me when I didn't have sex ed. In my school. They were there for me when I needed a contraception and I, I, I didn't feel comfortable going to my parents. So, you know, that's how I view healthcare. That's how I view 
education of it, you know, we should make it as accessible to people as possible. We shouldn't have barriers of income or insurance or so many of the things that that we have when people are trying to access healthcare in our in our country. And I've been an advocate ever since. And so it comes from a, a really strong place of wanting to fight for people like me um, and fight for a, an organization and a, and a mission that has been there for me and that I believe so deeply in. So after that, um, I really, I started to kind of see the connections between reproductive rights and health education and education and how deeply all of that is tied to so many issues in our city. And so for me, I really wanted to, to kind of continue that and expand that and, and, and fight for my community. So that's why I wanted to, to work for the council district that I live in. So I get to do really local work in terms of uh, pushing for for funding for programs in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm the legislative director in the council district, so I get to work on drafting bills and working on policy ideas. So taking super local issues and then getting to fight at a citywide scale. Um, and that, you know, that's what I, I'm grateful for in New York is that we, we can push a little further on some things than, um, than is happening in other places. Um, we're looking at people who, who who live and breathe this and who are directly impacted and and, and have um, really deep understandings of of issues. It's not just someone who read something and is talking about it, um, but that personal, deeply felt connection, I think is is so, so important. So can you speak a little bit about what you've been doing in response to COVID-19 in your local community, especially as legislative director? So it's been, yes, very busy. I think you know what we are facing is totally unprecedented. Growing up in, when I was in eighth grade, that was when 9-11 happened. And so that really kind of informed a lot of my high school thinking. And, and so it's interesting now I, I think about parallels from 9-11 to now um, and also how things are, are different. And it really feels like what we're going through now is, you know, it's, it's, it's something really new. The physical list has so many challenges in so many different ways. And yet we also, we need to be closer and tied to our communities more than ever before. So I think it's really figuring out how we do that, how things look a little bit different. So a little bit in terms of the ways that we've been doing that. One, I would say uh, mutual aid groups. Those have been really incredible in terms of like super grassroots, local neighbors, calling neighbors and checking in on people, doing phone trees. So much of it is, is how are we checking in on our people and getting people the resources and support that they need. And then also thinking about ways that we could be missing folks. With Zoom, for example, I think we're doing so many things online in new ways, which is great. I think, you know, we're, we're getting creative with Facebook groups and, and doing a lot of connections there. And it also doesn't reach everyone. And so I think that's also on us to, to think about how do we meet the needs of folks who are underserved, have been left behind in a number of different ways. Been doing calls with our, our NYCHA, our residents in public housing, um, and with uh, like building leaders in, in public housing and to, to, to get lists and contacts for folks of people who need meals delivered. A lot of people are homebound right now, so that's a huge need, both for people who are elder and also folks who maybe have an underlying condition or something that could put them at increased risk of harm uh, during this, this moment. So food assistance and food delivery has been a, a, a really big focus of what I've been working on, setting up networks to deliver food to, to residents, and then also thinking about how do we create programs and policies that make sure that food is accessible to everyone. HRA and the Human Resources Administration is our kind of city's 
uh, agency that does food assistance and um, emergency food programming. So we've been pushing to make sure that they have the funding they need, that they are increasing their supply, uh, that they are providing support for, for people. And then also thinking creatively. I think that's something so, so important in this moment too. Moving beyond traditional roles of government and saying, um, we all have a role to play. How do we tap into each of our roles and connect them? Um, and then another, I would say, in terms of policy uh, is around housing. One of the big things we've seen so far in this crisis too is, you know, we say shelter in place and, and isolate and, and stay home. Um, but for a lot of folks, they don't have that ability as easily as others. Um, so folks who live in our shelter system, folks, people who live on the street, um, or who are doubled up in, in homes, um, that can create uh, really serious risk. Uh, and also people who are in abusive relationships. So when we talk about how we're providing support for people and say, isolate, this is what we need to do, that we're also making it accessible for everyone. We're making it possible for people to isolate. We're making it possible to stay safe. I've been working uh, to provide more hotels and, and beds for people um, to be safe. In, in the city to not stay in, in clustered dormitory style shelters because that's that's a big issue that we've seen where if someone gets sick and they're in a, a, a dorm style room with 20 or 30 other people, that can spread so quickly. How do you think the city could improve on helping more vulnerable communities during the COVID-19 pandemic, but also is there anything city council is doing specifically as relates to the election and how that could impact the election, especially like the gathering of voters at like different polling places? The election, I think, is, is a very serious concern. You know, I, I think this is an example of government moving too slow for the moment that we are in. The scale of what is happening is so serious and every, every response, every solution that we need to that we come up with needs to start from a place of safety and and people's welfare um and so i think that requires us to not just say what what other states have done where, where they've still held elections on the same day but saying okay we need to very quickly figure out how to do vote by mail figure out how to do you know online or when registering you know more um more more people automatically. I think you know this moment is so important for us to 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 not just allow for for the for inequality around democracy and voting to continue. It's going to get worse, right? I think that's that's what's been really hard to watch with some of you know what's happening across the country in terms of the election right now. It feels like primaries have just moved forward without a recognition of this crisis that we're in. And, and what that results in is disproportionate impact. That's people who, who have the ability to get a mask, to protect themselves, to take time off work, are able to go and wait in a, a poll line for three hours. People who are essential workers, people who are older or are traveling home to be with their family or take care of their family, all of those people are, are at risk um, and unable to vote. Not to make it a partisan thing, but we have seen the agenda, this has been a political agenda for years of a lot of people in Congress, and it really is really frustrating and disheartening to see, you know, our community and our, our country's health is, is still less of a priority than making it harder for people to vote. I think it's, it's really incumbent on our city council, on our city government, on our state government to push really hard to change voting practices. In New York, we can do that. You know, we still have some time before 
our June primary. It sets a precedent. It shows other people, we can do this, we can make this happen. New York has been slow on a lot of voting reform, but this last year we, we got some, you know, we got some good stuff through and I, and it was, it was because people fought. It was because people were incessant and said, this is critical. New Yorker, all New Yorkers deserve the right to vote. We need to remove these age old barriers that have kept people from, ha from being able to vote. And, uh, you know, and in this moment, we're called to do more. We're, we're called to say, the situation has changed, so we need to adapt and we need to respond. A mass response from voters, from people on Twitter and Facebook and people calling, like that is what has made the difference. That is what has, has gotten them into action. For our listeners, I guess, who are not too familiar with what the actual role and jurisdiction of city council is on a more day-to-day -day basis, and also some of your thoughts, I guess, on why there aren't more women who are serving on city council. Yeah. So in terms of the kind of day-to-day -day structure of the council, uh, so this city council is New York City's legislative body. So um, the way that we have Congress at the federal level um, that passes, that introduces and passes bills, uh, and we have a state body, and then our city council is our, our local legislative body for the five boroughs. So uh, the city council passes legislation uh, around everything that gets that happens locally, things around uh, uh, workers' rights, so paid sick leave, that was passed in the New York City Council, workers' rights for, uh, for domestic workers, um, in terms of folks who are uh, housekeepers and folks who, who do childcare, that that legislation in terms of workers' rights is is in the council. Anti-discrimination policies locally that all that all can go through the council. Um, so there's a lot that we can do around education, around housing. All of that comes through. All that can come through the council. Um, the other big role that the council has with the mayor, they decide the city's budget. So New York City has a $93 billion budget for just our five boroughs, which in terms of a scale, that's larger than every other state's budget other than California. So in terms of impact and resources, it's huge. Local government has the most direct impact on our lives um, in terms of how well-resourced our schools are, in terms of uh, conditions in our, our apartment, uh, in terms of, you know, if, if our landlord hasn't done the work to make sure that there are not rats or mold, like all of that is through um, our city. Uh, and then the last really important role that the council has is oversight. So there are a number of agencies where all of these programs and policies go through, like parks, Department of Corrections, our um, social services agency, so that oversees our shelter system and our child welfare system. So for youth who are in foster care, our, our Department of Education, each of those agencies has an, an oversight council committee. So in the council, what we do is we'll hold hearings on uh, what's happening in the agency or what's happening in terms of the programs. So the council can hold a hearing and say, we need information on what's going on with for example, sex education in schools. We need you to tell us how well this is working. We need you to be accountable and we need you to, um, to back up the things that you're saying are happening. Um, and those hearings are public, so it's also an opportunity for the public to testify. And that's a huge role. That's so much of where we learn uh, what bills we wanna pass, uh, what policies need to change. A lot of times people don't know about these hearings. We, you know, we should do, be doing more direct communication with uh, members of the community with 
with young people, with uh, meeting, you know, uh, the hearings are in the middle of the day. For people who work during the day, it's hard for them to get to or they don't hear about it. So there are things like that where we still have a lot more we need to do in terms of being accountable to, to the community. And then the last I would, participatory budgeting. Participatory budgeting is, is one of my absolute favorite things in the city. Our communities know what's best. They know where the money should go. They know what policies are needed. And then in terms of the second question about women in, in government and women in the council, it's a, it's a really serious issue in terms of not having enough women in government and, and in the council particularly. Uh, there are 51 members of the city council and 12 are women. So when it comes to being represented, uh, making sure that issues that we are feeling deeply and, and living every day are being talked about enough. I mean, there, there are more committees <laughs> than that. Um, so how are we making sure in every public hearing that we have you know, a range of women speaking to the complexities of, um, of all of the issues that we're talking about? You know, women are not a monolith. It's not you have one woman, one woman in a room, and that means the the issue has been covered from the women's perspective, right? Like we all have complex, different understandings and and perspectives, and that's why we need people represented in government in so many different ways, right? You can't be what you can't see. It, it it's really hard to to see yourself being able to do something if you know if we don't have role models, we don't have people who've shown us. And working in in government, I'm often the youngest person in the room um, or one of few women in the room, you know, it can feel overwhelming sometimes of saying, I'm, I feel like I need to speak up for all of these people, but also feeling intimidated to do so because it feels like the space isn't for me necessarily. There is still like very much an uh, old school institutionalized political system that is hard to break into. You know, I, as someone running for this seat, I, I'm running up against a lot of men, um, people who have been, you know, in politics for over 10 years. Um, and and our, a lot of our politics sometimes works as a pay to play favoritism. And that I think is not how government should operate. It shouldn't be, who do you know and what favors have they given you? It should be really on the merits of, uh, of what you wanna change, what you wanna accomplish and what you believe in. Uh, and I think that is changing. It's still a lot of work. And then money is a real thing, I would say. You know, I, I, I don't come from a family full of, you know, rich uncles. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so that can make running a challenge. You have to take off work to run. Um, and, then you, and then there's the period between when you win and then when you get an office, right? So that's like many months of being out of work. And for people who have families, for people who um, don't have a lot of money saved up, uh, that's really hard, and that's that's a real challenge, and and that's why we need you know public financing. We need um, publicly funded elections. Do you find that there's some sort of social stigma against electing like diverse officials? And how does like electability, like that you know phrase we've seen like thrown around a lot, how does that play out on the local level as well? Yeah, I I think there's still a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I think it's changing and I am hopeful it's changing and I know a lot of really incredible women running for office and running for city council and I'm so excited to see, you know, a, a whole new cohort of, of uh, people in local government and, and I, I, I really believe that it, that it is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. <laughs> yeah, there is still so much of that ingrained stigma and built in 
misogyny. And, you know, there are multiple times I've been in a meeting um, and people looked right past me and at, at the national level, it, it's really heartbreaking um, when you, you say, how much more perfect of a candidate do you need? How you try to check off all the boxes, right? Um, the bar is still higher. And I think one of the ways that I get through that is having a, a really strong support system of badass women who are also fighting this and doing this. And I think, you know, being able to uplift and support each other is like what makes you get through the day when you're like, wow, I was just undermined like six times in an hour. And then, you know, this guy sitting next to me, everyone was applauding him when he didn't even say something that great. <laughs> I think that's also how we make the change, you know, is we, we build our bench, we build our, our, our support systems. You know, when, when we uplift each other, that's, that's how we, how we, we go forward. Uh, I was interested in seeing how your work at Planned Parenthood and your involvement with them specifically influenced maybe certain legislation you were pushing for or certain um, bills or maybe even um, influenced interactions with uh, male city councilmen who maybe obviously didn't have that same experience. My work at Planned Parenthood formed my my worldview in so many ways. So the work that I that I focus on in the council is the council member that I work for is chair of the general welfare committee. So that oversees uh, the homeless services system and, and social services. So like benefits like SNAP and un unemployment and things like that. And the, the value system that I hold really deeply and that I spend a lot of time uh, learning from, from other people at Planned Parenthood and, and with some really incredible women is that, you know, we respect people's humanity and their ability to, to, to know what's best for themselves and, and for their family and their loved ones and make decisions that are right for them when it comes to their health care and when it comes to, you know, to, to, to so many things. And um, that really kind of informs when I, when I work on policy issues around social, social services, it's, it's a, a person first agenda. You know, it's, it's how do we fight for things? We make sure that, that people have consent, that, that, that we're, we're respecting their autonomy and, um, and that we're really putting them uh, front and center. And um, as, as we're, you know, thinking about how we're changing social services or things like that, if we're adding barriers or burdens to people, uh, when I came into council, one of the first bills that I worked on, I, I, I introduced legislation around sex ed. I was like, this is what I, I love. This is what I believe in. This is core to me. And so I'm going to come here and I'm going to start working on things that, I, that are really close to my heart. How do you think that city council can adjust its practices, perhaps moving meeting times um, after school or, you know, advertising in schools about what they're doing? How do you think they can better involve teenagers like ourselves? And then what do you think we can be doing to get involved in the immediate future? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think I'm interested to see how the city council will take this moment and really learn from it. Um, I think in terms of accessibility through technology. I think, you know, more like online testimony or hearings or things like that, that meet people where they're at. I think there's some really great things that um, the council could be doing around that. Uh, in terms of what uh, young folks could, could do, I mean, I, I think just kind of keep sharing your story and and using like all the, all the you know all the mediums that folks have been using i think is is really is hugely important you can write your council member one thing that i think that is is also cool about local government is that um, because it's so direct 
if you get like 10 friends to do like a letter writing campaign and it gets to a council member, they'll think like, oh my gosh, this is an issue everyone in my district cares about, which it probably is, but uh, you can have a huge impact in terms of um, go, like calling your council member. Um, if, you know, if the council member is like, oh, I'm getting calls, I've gotten called three calls this week about this one issue, it's on their radar. It means like th that, that is a big thing for them. They were elected to serve you. Like their one job is to listen to you, is to listen to their constituents. They have a responsibility to hear from their constituents, to hear from their communities. And so I think remembering that and remembering the power in that of saying like you work, elected officials work for you. And that, that gives you a lot of power. And then also just on, in terms of like what elected officials could be doing better. I also think part of it is just like getting out of young people's way. Y'all are leading in so many ways. <laughs> I think like what we're seeing around climate change, like you all are driving the conversation around that, around a lot of Black Lives Matter work. Like I, I think there are so many issues that uh, you all are, are pushing the, the ball forward on and, and really changing the conversation on. And I think, you know, elected officials, they should be listening more. And, <laughs> and that's, that's really one thing that we can be doing in government um, is, you know, is, is passing the, um, the mic a little bit more. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for NextGen Politics.